But we knew going into that area that, okay, we found an area where there's fresh sign and we just had an encounter. And uh, even though we messed it up, you know, hopefully we learned from that. But we were fired up, man. We were fired up because we felt like we were doing it. Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast, and if you're listening to this as it's released, welcome to September. It's a time that many of us have been waiting for, uh, a lot of fun to come, a lot of adventure and experiences to be had in the backcountry, and I hope that you guys are uh, excited as we are to get out in the outdoors and get on some hunts and uh, just experience the whole hunt itself. As you guys do get out there, um, please stay in touch. Let us know how your hunts go. Send us some photos. Send us some stories, things like that. We'd love to hear from you. And actually, today's podcast is uh, its essentially that. It started with some Exomount Gear customers that sent us some photos and stories from a previous hunt last year. Uh, and I got to talking to them, and they just had a really cool story to share. And here we are uh, sharing this months later via the podcast. But these guys are buddies, actually uh, brother-in-laws, and went to Montana on a general hunt and filled a deer tag and an elk tag in the same day. So that's the story that we get into today. It's not just about the success of that hunt, but also the lessons that they have learned over the years hunting the West. They happen to be from Texas uh, and have an interesting story and perspective to share for sure. Before we get into that, just wanted to thank Kyle Pagel for the review in iTunes. Kyle, send us your shipping address to podcast at exomountgear.com, and we will send you some Hunt Backcountry and Gear swag. And listeners, if you want to enter into these giveaways, all we want is your feedback. If you could leave us a review in iTunes or any other podcast platform that you may use, that would be incredibly helpful. You can also email us directly with any questions for the show to podcast at exomountgear.com. All right, guys, let's dive into this story. Let's hear from some guys like you who were listeners who went out and had an adventure. It's time. Hope the show helped you. Talk to you soon. Guys, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Um, to kick things off, Nathan, we'll just kind of start with you to give a little bit of personal introduction background just so listeners can learn a little bit about you. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, I am 35. I live in Rockwall, Texas. It's a suburb of Dallas. Um, I'm, uh, married and have two kids and, uh, I'm an adult onset hunter. Um, you know, probably started, uh, hunting in my early, uh, late twenties, early thirties. And uh, got into hunting by uh, marrying into a family that, that did a lot of hunting all throughout Texas. So Nathan, when you mention uh, getting into a hunting family, I know that's, uh, that's your fault, partially Braxton, right? <laughs> oh, very much so. Very much so. Yeah, we, I think right when they were dating, when Nathan was dating my sister, started hunting a little bit and it, it, it ratcheted up. And then obviously once... Uh, once they got married, he was invited to everything, and 
yeah, we, we turned them pretty quick. <laughs> Duh. Nathan, does your wife now have regrets now that she got you into the family and you're gone hunting all the time? Yeah. You know, I think she, she may feel like she got a little bit of a bait and switch a little bit. Um, <laughs> now that, uh, you know, there's a, a gun safe, a big gun safe in our house and, and a shoulder and European mounts all over the wall. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it. So you guys, um, you know, we want to talk today about some of your experiences and stories, uh, hunting out of state, getting into elk hunting and mule deer hunting and all that, you know, beyond Texas. Uh, your first hunt uh, that you guys went on was in Montana. I'm just curious, first of all, you know, you don't see as many guys, especially from Texas, even going to Montana, of, say they want to go on an elk hunt. But for you guys, why did you choose Montana? So there's a number of reasons. And, and you're right, come September, October, there is a migration from Texas to, to Colorado. Uh, rightfully so, because there's tons of elk and tons of public land. But Part of it was, hey, we have uh, both vacation in Colorado and have seen a lot of the country. We also only get really one week to get up in the mountains each year. And so we, we don't want to go up there and see the Orange Army that's referenced a lot of times. And also, hey, we're, we're both big fans of Randy Newberg. And uh, he promotes Montana long seasons, lots of public land. And we thought that, hey, this is a, this is a general tag. We should draw it, but there's still a draw component to it. So it's not going to be just unlimited number of hunters. So, hey, we wanted to go see new country and hopefully have less hunters. And, um, yeah, that's kind of how we got, that's kind of how we picked Montana. Yeah. I think from a tag perspective, too, you know, they have the big game combo up there. And, you know, mm -hmm. we're going to go up there for a week and get after it. We'd like to have as many tags in our pocket as we can. So that was, uh, that was something of interest to us. Right. Definitely. And one of you guys got the combo and one of you got just a general license, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nathan got the big game, the deer and elk combo and I got just the elk. Gotcha. Cool. How did you, I mean, this is a whole subject in and of itself, but just to touch on it because it's one of the most common questions we get, especially for guys hunting out of state. Like how did you narrow down, okay, we're going to Montana, but now what, now where, you know, in terms of picking out units and areas, what type of country are you looking for? Uh, how did you narrow down the focus? Have it been our first elk hunt and it being a general tag, we weren't, we were realistic on, on the size of bulls that we were chasing. So we just wanted to see animals. We wanted to go where the most animals were. And we were, so we chose Southwest Montana. That's the largest elk herd uh, in the state. So we went there. And then from there, we, wanted to hunt hey, open country where we hunt in East Texas. It's very thick. It's pine. So, you know, you're rarely seeing more farther than 200 yards. We wanted to go get, see big country and go glass. And so Southwest Montana for big country and big elk herd, that's kind of how we settled on there. And then also we both subscribed to go hunt. So did a lot of research on there as well. We, um, you know, on that first hunt, long story short you guys didn't fill tags then but one of the things you mentioned was that that trip really just kind of established your expectations uh so i'm just curious like either on the expectation side or just in general lessons learned like what did you take away from that first trip although it wasn't successful you know that's part of the process of learning and, and understanding and gaining knowledge so you can, can be successful in the future uh what are some of those highlights for you guys after that first hunt of coming out of that and maybe having a different mindset after that trip than you did before it. 
yeah, Nathan probably can speak to that really well. But the one big takeaway that I had is that our first trip was really like a hiking and mountaineering trip. We were just <laughs> we spent all of our time climbing mountains and not really hunting. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I went back and and looked at some of our trails on Onyx, and um, you know. We had done a tremendous amount of e-scouting prior to this trip. We had consumed everything you could consume uh, on on social media and YouTube. And um, probably the biggest expectation for me set was like the difference between e-scouting and real life, right? Like uh, the topography and areas we thought we could get up in glass uh, or access to trailheads in certain areas just weren't, um, just weren't realistic. So, um, luckily, you know, we had, um, put together probably five to seven different spots. And if we got to one spot and it was, uh, gated and we couldn't get to the trailhead, we just move on to the next one. Um, but I, I looked for accident in the first day, I think we, uh, rolled out of the truck at, you know, early, early in the morning. And I think we just did a, like a 1800 foot vertical gain that morning and got <laughs> to a spot where we could not glass anything but timber. So, you know, that was, that was pretty frustrating for us and kind of taught us, um, how to realistically kind of go about looking for, for glassing locations. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, especially when you said, I mean, you guys are purposely going to that area partially to have open country, right? So you want to take advantage of letting the glass do some walking for you. Um, I'm assuming after that, you guys are now like one of my favorite tools is, you know, how you can change perspective in Google earth and really get a pretty good idea of vantage points and what you can actually glass from a certain area uh, by changing that perspective. Is that something you guys are looking at now? Definitely. Yeah. We've both spent a lot of time on Google Earth and just like you said, changing the perspective. And Nathan is really good about triangulating, hey, like uh sanctuary water and then like glassing locations. And I think the first time we were just kind of looking at, okay, what's the best glassing location? It's like the highest point there. A lot of times the highest point there is a mountain peak. And so you're not it's not realistic that you're gonna go up there or nor do you need to. And I think now we're much more efficient at knowing what's a what's a reasonable hike to get to versus you don't want to spend your whole entire day mountaineering. You want to spend your day hunting. Yeah. And, and I think in 2017, you know, I thought a bench was something that you sat on in the park. You know, <laughs> I had, I had no idea uh, of what a bench was and uh, as a topography feature. So, you know, that just kind of goes to show, you know, how much we had to learn, uh, you know, on that trip. Yeah. You guys mentioned something in passing about gates being closed. I'm just curious, what was your experience with roads and access and that? Because it can vary. And I've never hunted that area of Montana at all. So is that you guys were hunting public land, but when it comes into running into closed gates, what's kind of the story or what did you guys find there? Well, it was kind of hit or miss. There were some areas that that we thought um, we could uh, uh, slip into some slip through like a private land neighborhood and there may be, uh, and there was like a trailhead that started at, uh, public land. But I remember like that was a gated community. So we couldn't, we couldn't figure that out. And then, or we couldn't obviously use that. And then, you know, we'd come up to a gate that we thought we could uh, drive, you know, another, um, you know, mile or two up and it was, uh, nope, 
time to lace them up and uh, and put your pack on and, and go from there. So it was just a huge learning curve for us, um, you know, f- figuring th- those types of things out and and honestly knowing what to look for in the future and and who to talk to locally to see, hey, is this open? Is that open? Do you have access here? And, you know, have some of our local resources, um, you know, help us qualify those things before we, um, you know, get on the ground. I would say we don't have uh, being in Texas and hunting in Montana, you know, we don't have the luxury of uh, doing scouting trips. But, uh, man, it would it sure would be helpful um, if you could just get two or three days in, uh, you know, scouting over the summer or in the early fall. Um, I think if somebody does have the ability to do that, um, go do it because it's going to make you definitely more efficient on your hunt plan. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I've looked at even for out of state hunts and on that scouting, especially if you only have two or three days, that's not necessarily even a scouting mission to find animals. That's a scouting mission for what you just talked about in terms of determining, okay, this spot looks good, but can I actually access it? And so if you have two or three days, just spending some time like bouncing around, seeing what access is like, seeing if where you think you can get that you actually can get, obviously if you can get in the country and look at, you know, sign and things like that, that's going to be incredibly helpful. But part of that is just scouting the logistics almost. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Cool. So you guys, uh, that hunt, as we mentioned, didn't fill a tag. Then coming back the next year, uh, we kind of talked about, you know, different expectations and things like that. But was there anything coming into the following year that changed on like training or gear? I mean, we talked about the scouting piece, but did you guys feel well equipped to hunt? And it was just a matter of going into this year with more information on kind of where uh, and how to best get into animals? Yeah, definitely. I think that um, going into our second year uh, in 2018, hunting the same area, we had much more confidence. Um, we had already been on the ground. Uh, we had known the area, you know, we'd known the area just a little better. Um, you know, we get we could qualify the area better, just what we discussed. And we, um, we did a better job, I think, utilizing local resources on our second trip. So, um, you know, some of the things, uh, some of the people that we called, um, in addition to using like go hunt and on X where we tracked down the local biologists and the local, um, rangers and had conversations with them about, um, you know, access, what are bears doing right now? Um, what's the snow doing, what's the moisture like up in the mountains, um, and things like that. And we also, um, talk to local taxidermists and local meat processors, let them know that, Hey, we're coming in hunting from out of town and, um, you know, would like to utilize their service and understand how shipping works and your costs. And, um, in addition to that, you know, as you're chatting them up, you know, start asking them about the area, um, Braxton and I knew all the different roads, all the different trailheads, all the different creeks uh, in the area. So we could kind of speak their language a little bit um, Mm -hmm. as talking to them. And I think they appreciated that we weren't just like, hey, what's your, hey, Hey, where are the elk at? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Show us where the elk at. We were more, we had done our, our due diligence and 
Braxton and I have put together, call it our five spots. And um, what we do is is take those five spots to them and ask them questions. And, you know, some some were real, real closed off and, and that's fine. No big deal. But some were like, oh, yeah, well, no, that creek is great. But what we really need to do is go over this ridge to that creek and check that out. And, and things like that. And it just, um, I think helped qualify us, you know, in our, in our conversations, uh, with, with some of the locals up there. Yeah. That, that is such a good point of going into that conversation. Like you said, speaking your language and it's not that it's really just showing that you've already done the work, right? Like you're not just there asking for a freebie or a handout. You've, you know enough to speak the language, to highlight specific areas. You have a plan and you're essentially just looking for some feedback, right? Um, versus That's right. just asking them, hey, I'm coming from Texas. I'd love to kill an elk. Where should I go? That's not going to get you anywhere. Um, but that's such a good point. And I would say that applies, especially if you're talking to like a local, you know, as you said, taxidermist or meat processor, um, you know, they're just a local guy running a business. It's maybe not as critical on like, say, uh, you know, if you contact Fish and Game, it's going to be more helpful though. Obviously fishing game wants you to be there and wants you to have a good experience. And so they're not going to necessarily hold it against you if you don't understand the area as much, but because you can be specific, you're going to get much more specific and helpful information. Yeah. It establishes some credibility. That's awesome. So those, like when you say those five areas, I'm just curious, is this, how are you guys tackle on that? Um, you guys were, I believe, are you guys like, camping from the road like how are these five areas dispersed is this you know a 40 mile drive between areas or what kind of country are you covering potentially between these different areas i mean they're they're spread out and it's more so you know we started off with hey where are some roadless areas we use the roadless feature on on x to start with there and then hey we just like mentioned earlier triangulating you know glass uh sanctuary water and then glassing ability and so that's the kind of area. And then we would try to have like, you know, two or three glassing spots um, for each for each area. And then in term, and then we really. Like you said, we were truck camping, so we weren't packing in. We were camping at a trailhead because we wanted to stay mobile. If we were going to hunt a morning or an afternoon, we didn't see anything or we didn't see sign. We wanted to have the flexibility to get out and drive, you know, th- theoretically 40 miles. But all of our spots were probably in that same one or two unit area and you know i think the farthest from north to south was maybe 10 miles but you know 10 miles on mountain roads coming you know off the mountain to the valley and back up you know probably 10 miles by the by way the crow flies but maybe 20 miles on roads yeah so you want to that's you want to cover country but at the same time be efficient about doing it which is the point i'm getting at yeah. you know if you're moving between point a and point b and especially if you're staying mobile and truck camping and getting from here to there do what you got to do but you don't want to have to be making a two-hour drive if you don't have to right um yeah. so that yeah. totally agree the yeah. way you guys put that together of we can be mobile we can get into an area efficiently we can get out of an area efficiently and again that comes back to how well you've pre-planned the access of how do I get from my truck to that glassing point? Like that needs to be predetermined. Uh, and then like you guys said, being able to efficiently then move to a different spot. That's uh, that's great. Yeah. We didn't have the, the luxury of, 
of being local and, and knowing where the X was. Um, so um, that's why mobility was so critical for us in our hunt plan was um, we would, we would, we knew it was uh, uh, the elk were in, um, you know, post rut phase. We knew we needed to find a uh, sanctuary. We knew there hadn't been a whole lot of snow yet. So they were still, um, you know, up high. And, uh, and we knew that if we got in and, um, didn't see any sign, uh, then we needed to move on to the, to the next area. So that's why hunting, hunting, uh, at, you know, camping at the trailhead was so much better. Uh, the second year we could stay mobile and really just saves you so much time in the morning and in the evening, um, you know, not having to, to drive back to a base camp or a motel somewhere. Yeah. We, uh, obviously we talk so much about backpack style hunting and all that with you guys being mobile and camping from the truck. Was this quite literally throwing up a tent at the truck? Did you guys set up your truck in a way where you could sleep in the truck? Like what were those just almost the logistics of your camp just to be efficient on that side of things? Yeah. We each had, we each had our own tents. Like I said, a tent there. Um, I think we actually rented, we actually rented a suburban, uh, a four wheel drive suburban for this trip just because that's what was, that's what was available. But yeah, we both had tents right there next to the, next to the truck at the trailhead. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. So you guys mentioned this was post rut. Uh, so you're not relying necessarily on calling as much or vocality, even to locate elk, as you said, getting in there and assessing sign, but then also glassing, like truly just finding the animals. I'm curious with that for you guys, what what were you thinking and how were you approaching maybe midday, right? So especially when you're glassing, open country, post-rut, you think of trying to fight animals and maybe, you know, coming out, transitioning from feed to cover, that type of thing. But what did you guys find about hunting midday at all or what was your strategy? So our strategy was, and our kind of overall hunting strategy when we hunt out west is like, hey, we got we got five days or we got seven days to get it done. So we try to, um, stay on the mountain, uh, and we plan to stay on the mountain all day. Even if your percentages, you know, go down, uh, midday. Um, and what we, what we'll eventually talk about and what we learn is hey, being there and being in the middle of it is, um, you know, half, half, half the battle, um, of getting this done. So, our, our, in our hunt plan, we typically, unless we're in an area that we just don't have confidence in, um, we are typically planning on, on staying, uh, you know, in that area all day. And we meant, you know, sneak a nap and rest and stuff like that, but we're trying to glass and we're trying to hunt, uh, actively uh, all day. Yeah. And, and sometimes, like you said, sometimes we'll be in one spot and glass all day, but also, Hey, if we have one spot and you know, you know how it is, you just get tired of sitting down for four hours. We'll go do a lap midday and like, we're not going to go walk through our glassing area, but maybe we'll go walk some thick stuff the other direction. And just Hey, it might be low odds, but you never know. You might, it, you might just get lucky and bump something. And we have ran into elk that way before. So it might be glassing for three or four hours or plus in the morning, go do a two or three hour loop, come back to your spot and glass for the evening. Mm, yeah. yeah. I think you guys mentioned at one point you 
you got into elk and you knew it by smelling him. Uh, and I'm not sure how the story went down. I'd love to hear it, but you eventually ended up bumping a bull, uh, while covering country like that. That's right. Um, that's exactly what happened. Um, so I would say, um, was it day three of the hunt? Maybe Braxton. Yeah. Maybe day two of the hunt. It was Um, hiking, hiking in the morning of day two. Yeah. So day two, we were hiking into a new area. Um, you know, it was still dark out and, um, man, like everybody always talks about smelling elk and I'm like, man, what the heck is that like? Um, (laughs) but what I can tell you is you just know when you know, and, um, um, it's kind of like livestock, but a little, uh, muscular maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, we were walking in and, uh, we just, we were seeing sign, uh, we were seeing, um, some prints and some scat and, and then all of a sudden we just smelled it and we stopped where we were at, um, for a little bit, not long enough. Um, and we, sh- in, in retrospect, I think we should have just sat tight there and maybe waited for the, the s- sun to come up and read the wind a little bit and, and just let that situation play out. But we stopped, we, um, and then we continued walking. And I would say maybe just right before shooting light, maybe five or 10 minutes before shooting light, um, we saw a bull and a few cows, um, you know, silhouetted at the top of the ridge that we were on. And, you know, Braxton saw them first. Uh, I had the tag. I didn't see them. And but just like that, they were gone. And, um, you know, we were pretty disappointed. Um, and uh, man, Braxton, I don't know what, probably 15 or 20 minutes uh, later, we just hear a kaboom and uh on the, on the, in the valley on the other side of that ridge. And we're, pr- we're pretty sure we don't know for sure, but we're, we're almost positive that we gave another hunter over there a big assist. <laughs> <laughs> it was an unintentional oak drive. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so when that, so like we knew going into that area that, okay, we found an area where there's fresh sign and we just had an encounter. And, uh, even though, we messed it up, you know, hopefully we learned from that, but we were fired up, man. We were fired up because, because yeah. it felt like we were doing it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, especially with it being not shooting light yet, I would think your guys are right. And I'm not trying to armchair quarterback cause I've made plenty of mistakes myself, but yeah, like you get into that situation, don't necessarily have a great idea, especially in that type of lighting conditions where things are at or might be, or maybe you're not even familiar with the country, like just sitting tight for a bit, seeing what plays out, seeing what the wind does, seeing if you hear anything, if they get up, I mean, anything like that, I think would, in the end, patience would, would be key. And when you get into smelling oak, no matter what the conditions are, because like you said, you, it happens, you'll know it. Uh, and at that point, I think stop, be patient, let things play out, uh, is, you know, generally the way to go there. Yeah. Agreed. How was, um, you know, in these first few days, what were you guys seeing for hunting pressure? Were you guys having to deal with that at all? Or um, how was that working? Yeah, day one, you know, our day one was really kind of a bust uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, First off, the snow was way higher than we thought it was. We had planned to walk three miles, but we were post-holing the whole, whole time, only made it one mile. And so then we weren't very far from the trailhead. And yeah, I think we saw 
a group of two or three guys walking that morning, and then we saw a group of like three or four guys on horse on horses on the ridge, and yeah. we and then we ran into another camp. So yeah, that opening day was just kind of discouraging. We didn't get where we wanted to get, yeah. and yeah, hunting pressure was uh, was a factor. And really, for the first time, the trip before it was not a factor, but this morning here or this day here, it was. Nothing's uh, more defeating than uh, working your tail off, hiking into an area, seeing something that looks really good, glassing it, uh, and then at about 7.30 in the morning, three horses ride across that same ridge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah, that's one thing. I mean, just in general, right? You sometimes you just think this area, like especially when you're e-scouting, going into a new country, this area looks so good. I'm so excited. This area looks great. There's probably some guy on a computer thinking the same thing, <laughs> or mm-hmm. maybe not even on a computer. But you're right. Like you picked a great area, and maybe the guy with the local intel knows. Yeah, this is a good area. I've been here before, done that, right? So it's kind of like that double-edged sword. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. Let's uh let's get into a day you guys uh you guys had a wild day one of these days and filled a couple of tags in a day so like lead us into that um I know in the morning uh, you guys had some action so just go ahead and pick up with the day and the story and let's let this sucker play out yeah so um day four of our hunt um we were um we were tired man we had been you know. Uh, staying outside, uh, hiking all over the place. And um, on day three, we um, were just talking and we're like, man, we just got to figure out a new spot. Like where we're at isn't working. And actually, the the area that we went to um, was recommended to us by uh, a biologist. So I just looked at my notes and saw the saw the um, road there or road name there and we looked it up and 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 to be quite honest we were kind of we were kind of running out of uh options so we decided to um set up camp at this trailhead and and go in that morning and um we were glassing um you know a large uh large creek bed and, and uh, meadow area and um you know as the sun started to come up we started getting excited because we were starting to see uh, deer. Uh, deer were just kind of starting to pop up everywhere. And uh, one thing that Braxton and I have learned um, just through a short time hunting is like, like man, it, it's a booster to get on the board. Um, I would say that, you know, we're on this trip primarily to elk hunt, but we had a deer tag in our pocket and, um, and we were opportunistic on uh, deer hunting. So, um, we, you know, as the morning unfolded and shooting light came around, um, there was a, there was a buck, uh, skylighted on top of a, a ridge to our left. And, uh, you know, I whispered to Braxton, I'm like, uh, man, I'm, I'm gonna shoot this buck. And, uh, you know, you're always like in the back of your mind, like, man, do I want to shoot this buck and get on the board and just, or, and disturb this area? Like, what if there's elk in the area and I just bump them all out? Um, but we decided that, Hey, I'm going to shoot this, shoot this buck. And, uh, I had a, I have a, a BDC reticle on my rifle and, um, I was just, uh, so excited. I have my rifle sighted at, uh, zeroed at 200 
and then you know the the BDC reticle plays out uh, in hundred yard increments after that. Well, the the deer, I I didn't I wasn't thinking, and I uh, I had a uh, three hundred yard hold on a two hundred yard buck, and I just <laughs> I just slung one right over his back, right over his back. So that was that was really frustrating, and um, I was uh, my self speak at that time was pretty hard on myself, but um, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know. Braxton, I'll let you kind of tell the next part, uh, what happened. Yeah. So we saw that, and um, at the same time, basically Nathan shot. We, we verified, okay, he missed. And just like, oh, well, that sucks. I'm, I'm going to glass this part of the basin over here now. And I, I moved my spotter down there and, like, immediately just pick up another buck. Like, it's almost like you couldn't get that lucky. I, I literally just spun my spotter over, got my head on it, and in the center frame is like a shooter buck. Like, oh my gosh, Nathan, it's another one like right here. And he's not even really alerted to our shot. So Nathan glassed him up and like, yeah, it's a shooter. And we and then we ranged him and, and boom, Nathan shot, put a good shot on him. And and then this country here, uh, so he dropped right away. Boom, was down. We were high five and really excited. We're pumped up. This country here is like the this basin is on the perimeter is timber but the part that we're looking at is just sagebrush with really not hardly any terrain features to use as, as a reference so i just some inexperienced guys we just like started walking down there to where the deer was and we get there and we just cannot find it like this sagebrush is only mid thigh high and we just cannot find this deer anywhere. And we, we know that it dropped. I mean, he smoked it. And we looked for a while. And we're really starting to get embarrassed. Like, hope, hope no one's glassing us and watching us right now. This is a dead deer here. And we just can't find it. <laughs> yeah. And your mind starts to wonder. You're like, right. oh, oh, my gosh. Did this deer crawl off under the sagebrush? And we're like tricking <laughs> creek beds and under trees. Just, yeah. just ridiculous. So... So finally we got smart and I had Nathan go back to where he shot from and we had the distance ranged. And so as soon as he got up there and, um, range, like told me like we, we could communicate, I forget how we could talk, but I knew I needed to walk in like 40 more yards. And like within one minute I was standing over the buck. So lesson learned, like mark where you shoot from and remember the range and, mm-hmm. you know, s- start around there. And so then we found the buck in one minute and yeah. it was high fives and pictures and all that. Yeah. And one thing that, one thing that I learned on that is like what Braxton said, like if you got on X after you take that shot, pull it up and mark your spot. Like right. Before you got you a move. hat, hang, hang it from a tree, you know? Um, and, uh, because that took us, uh, you know, two hours to, to do a 30 minute task. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so yeah, every, Every single time, aside from when something drops in sight and you just see it in sight, um, every single time I'm always like, I wish I would have paid more attention. And what's funny is like, I've, I've thought that so many times that I do try and pay attention to landmarks or like where something went or, you know, what have you, but it just, it never fails that every time you get down there and the perspective changes and you're like, ah, dang it. You know, yeah. like it's just, it doesn't look the same or that tree that I thought it doesn't look right. And I mean, it's just... It's so important that every time you make a shot, like 
you're excited, but you got to slow down and, you know, just pick out landmarks yeah. and like you said, set waypoints, set up your hat, do whatever you got to do to just have as much info as possible. One thing I, one thing I started doing, you know, if you can remember in that moment, right. Cause you got a lot going on. on. Um, but one thing that I started doing is when I make that shot, um, and, you know, and I'm confident the animal's down, I come up off the gun and I just take a picture and I take a picture with my phone and um, kind of cross-reference it, look at, look at, you know, where the tree is or where that boulder is. And, um, you know, we were on an all-dad hunt about a month and a half ago. And, you know, I shot an all-dad at a pretty good distance and up in the mountains. And, uh, you know, we, I took a picture of it. And then, you know, I walked about 355 yards and, and, and got right on it. So that's really helped us uh, uh, moving forward is taking that picture and that can help kind of be your, your map as you, as you try and find your animals out there. Yeah, that's good. So you guys get that uh, recovered. How far from the, the truck were you at that point packing that bug out? Not, not very far. And that's really kind of one of our lessons learned that we can get to is that, Hey, like we were only like a mile from even the trailhead. But the whole entire way, it was bushwhacking. Like We didn't mm-hmm. walk on the trail at all. We went the opposite direction of the trail. And um, so it was really a pretty – it was mostly uphill. But besides that, it was only like a mile pack out. So not – nothing really that taxing. Would you agree, Nathan? Yeah, I would agree. I would say, uh, man, being a flatlander hunting out west is hard. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we uh, – you know, we we packed that buck out um, in one trip, but um, just get used to the elevation and the altitude. Um, I would say, you know, the the first quarter of that trip, it was like, oh my gosh. Uh, but uh, you know, once you kind of get your legs under it and you understand what those expectations are physically, uh, it gets a lot better. But uh, yeah, it was, it was that that was a little more. And we're fit guys, but like uh, it was a it was it was just different. It was just pushing yourself in a, in a different way yeah gotcha so that was a morning you guys took care of that buck and then it's what midday what was you know how did the rest of that day unfold uh after you get to the truck yeah so we uh we got to the truck we packed out the buck got to the truck took it to the local um processor in town um Got ourselves, uh, what was our thing, Braxton? A huckleberry soda uh, yeah. <laughs> from, from, uh, as, a, as a little celebration um, from a local soda shop in town. And, um, and then started planning our evening hunt. Yeah, got tags to fill. Got to get right back at it, right? That's Is right. <laughs> so what, um, what were you thinking then, like in terms of spots? Like we're obviously you just had the one combo. So you had the one deer tag that's filled. You're back on elk. You guys were talking before about not sure where to go. So how are you then making the decisions on, we got the evening. How do, where do we go from here in terms of getting on some elk? So we were sitting, so we were sitting there eating lunch. Both had our, both had our phones out digging around on Onyx. And really the spot that we had shot the deer, we were seeing like good elk sign in that, in that kind of bigger area. So we felt like, Hey, we don't want to like, leave sign to go find other stuff. Uh, and so really, well, we just shot a deer here. Maybe we don't want to go to that, that exact spot, but maybe kind of hit the basin from like a different ridge or different angle. And so that's what we, that's what we decided to do. 
And then also we didn't go all the way to the trailhead. We probably parked a half mile to a mile off the road before the trailhead. And it's really kind of like a little tight little valley right there. And we just pulled over off where we had a little bit of room. And this was Nathan's idea and really worked out great. It was basically a straight up climb from the road uh, up this little, I don't call it a little mini mountain. And we're like, hey, let's just try this. It's probably an area that no one really goes to a whole lot. And so, so we did. We parked and immediately had a pretty tough climb for about 30, 40 minutes getting up this hill. But then we got up there and it was pretty flat from, from there. So that's where we went. Nathan, you take it from here. Yeah. So, uh, so we got up there and, um, like Braxton said, it was just, it was the same general area, but just coming at it from a different angle. And, um, um, we had seen that, Hey, there looks like there's some good meadows around here and some good, um, shelter. So we got up there and it was great. It was everything that I think we hoped it would be. Um, we were just, it's at, at this time, you know, it was probably about, uh, maybe four o'clock in the afternoon. And, um, we were just really looking for uh, a good spot, a good vantage point where we could where we could glass. In the process of of, uh, of being up there, um, I stepped in a cow patty, and in that cow patty happened to be a pair of Leica eight by forty two binoculars. <laughs> so, so um, you see that every day. That was yeah, you can see that every day. So. We're thinking, okay, well, somebody's been up here. Um, so we, uh, I, uh, they were still covered in 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 doo doo, but I let Braxton have those. I gave those to <laughs> yep. to him as my hunting buddy. But um, but yeah, we uh, we were really just kind of looking for a vantage point, and then um, um, out of a out of a ridge line, out of a tree line on a ridge. Uh, a cow came out and Braxton was the first one to see it. And, um, you know, he's, he's saying elk, elk, elk. So, um, we stop and, um, we're glassing up there and a cow kind of feeds out into this meadow. And then right behind her, um, was a bull. And, you know, we just, we knew immediately it was a bull. We knew immediately it was a legal bull. We got glass on it. And, and I would say from that point, moving forward we just kind of almost like blacked out and went into robotic mode you know <laughs> i was i was carrying my rifle i had a k2 3500 on my back and um you know i slung my pack off and uh kind of sat indian style with my pack like kind of straight up in my lap mm-hmm. and i put put my gun across the top of it and uh got on the bull and uh, Braxton was over my shoulder uh, with his rangefinder, just you know, just giving me uh, giving me the yardage, kind of continually giving me the yardage. 422, 422, 422. And um, the bull, the shot I made was a frontal shot, and um, bull fed out into um, into the meadow. And then as soon as he kind of stopped, um, you know, I held center mass on him put a really really good shot on that bull and uh it just he just collapsed right there and uh 
by the time I got back on my scope and was looking at him, he was on his back and his hooves were just going a mile a minute. So you, you had two shots, you had the frontal and then the follow-up. Is that what you said? Yeah, I had, I, we, I mean, we knew we, we were pretty confident that the first shot was fatal, but like we wanted to just be sure. So oh, sure. I got yeah. back on the goal, uh, racked another round and, um, and, and shot him again. And, and uh, when I shot him again, uh, he popped up, which we weren't expecting and, uh, ran into the tree line. And, but we, we knew that, that we, that we connected pretty well. So we knew that, that he wasn't going to get too far. That's a, um, you know, it's not an uncommon shooting position to have to get into what you described, like sitting like that and using the pack as supports. Good. Uh, did, did have you practiced that type of stuff beforehand? Was that something you were comfortable with and you knew to get in that position? Or you know, I I know just thinking on past hunts, like there's certain positions that I've had to put myself in where it, I haven't done it before, right? So it takes some time to get settled. Uh, I'm just curious what that was like for you. Um, no, honestly, I'd never shot in that position before in my life. Uh, I don't even know where I picked it up, but um, it was super steady. Um, I had, it allowed me to, you know, with that titanium frame you guys had and just resting on the top there, you know, I brought the pack as close to my trigger as I could to, um, to balance the gun and, um, really had no problem, um, you know, staying on the animal and just was able to really focus on making a good, uh, clean shot. That's cool. Yeah. For guys, if you haven't shot off a pack like that, especially with that straight vertical, uh, you know, one thing that can be super helpful is try to make sure you have some contact with the pack itself. Meaning, uh, if the only thing holding the pack in place is the rifle, uh, what happens is that rifle, especially in a recoil, there's going to be some rise. And then when the rifle rises off the pack, if you don't have any other body contact with the pack to help kind of keep it in place, that pack will often just fall over. And then if you do have a follow-up shot, uh, there's work to do there of getting the pack back set up and trying to take a follow-up <laughs> yeah. shot without the pack supported. So depending on how position is, one thing you just, you can try and keep part of your arm on the pack. Sometimes you can brace it so that um, your front hand, your support hand with the rifle can also make contact with the pack. And so that as that rifle recoils, you can essentially not necessarily keep the pack 100% solid, but keep it from falling over. And then as the recoils come back down, you can essentially bring the rifle back down on the pack and hopefully be ready for a follow-up shot. So uh, that's something I've just, you know, learned by doing that a little bit. That's uh, good to keep in mind. That's right. It works great. And yeah, to your point, like I had that pack up against my chest. I was sitting like Indian style with my legs around it. And I had my offhand, I'm a left-handed shooter. I had my offhand kind of kind of wrapped around the pack and, and under the gun, so it was yeah. it was solid. Nice. What um what were you shooting? What what rifle do you shoot in terms of cartridge? So I shoot a three hundred Win Mag. Nice. And um, that was something that you know I you know I like to shoot as well as hunt, so I'm glad that the two cross. But yeah. um you know uh you know I, I knew I was super comfortable with my rifle out to six hundred yards. Um, because I had practiced, I, um, had done a lot of research on my ballistics, uh, of the specific bullet that I was shooting. Um, I had my gun chronoed and, you know, I use an app. So, um, I say all that because like when the time happens, like you don't, it like, 
by the time Braxton saw the bull, and by the time I shot the bull, it was probably less than 10 or 15 seconds. So, you know, just knowing all of that and being comfortable with all of that in the field mm-hmm. is so helpful because these windows of, you know, we travel miles and spend a whole bunch of money and we just to go up there and do this. Like, and you may just have a 10 or 15 second window of opportunity. So you just got to be confident and be able to, to take it. So put your time in, in the off season, shooting that gun For sure. and, um, and it'll help you. Good stuff, man. Did you guys, uh, you mentioned glassing uh, that elk after he went down. Um, not as many problems as you did with the deer in terms of getting back on him to recover him. No, the terrain was a little more pronounced, and it was obvious, like where where he was when we shot it and where he went. So, no, no problems. We actually, you know, we we did wait ten fifteen minutes, and we actually had phone service there, so we called our wives. Maybe looking back, maybe counting our chickens before they hatched, you know, that we tell them, tell them that we killed a bull. But, uh, yeah. but like I said, like Nathan just smoked, he smoked this thing and it was crumbled and just stumbled down. And then we called my dad who really, our full hunting group is really, uh, other brother-in-law, my other sister, but he's, he's, he was in med school then. So he was unavailable. And then my dad, who I've been hunting with for well 27 years now, and he normally comes on all these trips, but last second had to had to back out on this trip so uh anyway he was very excited to hear that we had shot that we had shot a bull and so we then walked right up there to where nathan shot it and it was just blood everywhere like from the ground blood on the trees like shoulder height like it was spewing out i mean it i've i've shot my fair share of animals i've never seen a blood trail like this i mean it was crazy and so then we so i mean it was the easiest blood trail to follow ever and we kind of went over the crest of this ridge and immediately saw the elk dead there it only ran what maybe 30 yards maybe we just couldn't see it because because the crest from where we shot it but he didn't he didn't go anywhere yeah Mm -hmm. it's uh was that the first elk you guys put on the ground or whether you personally shot or not had the opportunity to break down. Yes. That was the first elk, uh, that, that both of us had ever had on the ground. And it was, uh, five 30 at night with complete darkness at seven. And, uh, we were in Southwest Montana in bear country. <laughs> so, yeah. Although we were super jacked up that we had just pulled this off it was a little limited by the fact of, you know, Hey, being from Texas, we were definitely bear aware, but we don't know, we don't know anything about bears, man. Like we thought we were going to get, you know, you know, we thought the gunshot goes off and the dinner, they hear the dinner bell and come in. So we were, our pucker factor was pretty high, you know, mm-hmm. cleaning this elk for the first time in bear country. Um, and just trying to get out of there really as fast as we could. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, you know, when you're, that's my story. I've killed plenty of deer sized game before I killed the first elk and you get up on that and you're like, Whoa, this is quite a bit different. Yeah. Yeah. And Nathan's bull was, you know, for, for that part of the state was a mature animal. I mean, it was a big bodied five by five, like very like representative bull. So it wasn't some juvenile bull. It was a mature animal and it was, it was big. Like we were, very, very surprised walking up on it. 
Yeah, that's awesome. So how did with an hour and a half of light left, especially for your first telk, I mean you're you're gonna be working longer than that. What did did you guys go gutless? Did you quarter it? How did you manage your logistics of then keeping meat overnight? And yeah, how did all that go? Yeah, we uh we we went gutless, recorded it, and uh what we did was we so we corded it up and then all the other like trimming and all that stuff and we carried uh half of it kind of up to a an open meadow that had like one tree by itself in the meadow and we hung the meat on that one tree with the the idea that hey tomorrow morning we could like glass this tree from half mile away and see if something's messed with it overnight and so we carried about half of it away and then the other half we just packed it out that night and you know hour and a half we probably we started at 5 30 i bet by 7 30 we were we were walking out is that is that fair nathan yeah yeah we were walk, walking out in the dark yep yeah that's a really important point on you know if you're keeping meat out in bear country i never personally have to dealt with that too much until recently being at kodiak uh, thinking of brown bears where you know we killed the deer in the morning we wanted to keep hunting that area um so it wasn't an overnight issue but it was the same issue of leaving a deer and then coming back hours later and we did the same thing of making sure it was visible so that as you're approaching it you know you're not surprising a bear or anything like that so that was a super smart move on your guys part thank you yeah we went in the next morning um like braxton said glassed it and we were and we were yelling we were singing we were <laughs> you know making our, our presence known because uh, we weren't trying to play around with with any bears we hit uh, so much in that story that is not just a fun story to hear about, you know, filling a deer tag and an oak tag in the same day, but so much in there is like valuable information to help guys that they can learn from and relate to. Um, just from a high level, is there anything else that stands out on a lesson that we learned, a lesson that you guys learned that you'd want to share with the guys listening uh, that we maybe didn't already hit? Man, I would say for us, this trip was... Um just about like you just got to do it i mean it's i know it's easier uh said than done but we would have never filled two tags on public land in the same day if we were at home in texas you know and it's not it's not easy and we're still we've been hunting for a while now we're still not good at it (laughs) we're still learning and we're still consuming but every time we get out in the field we become a little better and I'd say our why is, um, and I know I can speak for Braxton, is like one day our our goal, our Super Bowl of hunting would be to take our kids into the field out west up in the mountains and call in a bull and having one of our kids arrow a bull. You know, we still haven't even uh, shot a bull with, with uh, archery tackle yet. but So we got a long ways to go to get there. But like that's one of our goals is 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 to do that. So, man, if, if I could pass along anything to to new new hunters or somebody thinking about doing this, it's just um, there's plenty of resources out there. You can do it. Just do it. It's awesome. It's a good word, guys. It's so true. Um, thank you for taking the time to join us, share the story, share the lessons, uh, and good luck. You know, getting out there and like I said, keep learning and keep hunting and keep getting after it. Yeah. Thanks, definitely. Man. Thanks, man. Well, that's a wrap on this one, guys. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. I know that uh, many of you will be busy in the weeks and months to come with your own hunts. 
don't forget to reach out and let us know how it goes. Just shoot us that email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. Good luck and talk to you soon. Thank you.